This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. Now, we don't have a lot of time this morning, but I believe by the Spirit of God we're going to get through what we need to get through because I believe that the Holy Spirit's given me something that's got to go off on the inside of you. It's got to go off on the inside of you. If it doesn't go off on the inside of you, everything that we've been dealing with over the last weeks are going to be lost. And I believe in Jesus' name they're not going to be lost. Amen. So this morning I'm going to, we're still doing the subject, dealing with the subject of developing Christian character. And this morning I'm going to deal with God's order of breaking bread for the world. God's order of breaking bread for the world. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Okay. You never experience life outside of Jesus. Never experience life outside of Jesus. You can breathe and not be living. That person next to you might be breathing and not alive. Just nudge them. See if they've got some warm flesh there. So we've been dealing with character. What is character? Character is who I am. And the interesting thing about character is I keep changing. See, I keep changing. Uh, If I am intrinsically deceitful, it doesn't matter what my veneer is. It doesn't matter what I put out. People are going to ultimately discover that I'm a deceptive person. I will operate in deception and the sadness about deception and its power is that ultimately the person who operates in deception themselves become so blinded they can't even see a whole lot of things. They get self-deceived. They start believing the things that, they, that they're lying to other people about. And the biggest problem with a liar is this. He or she cannot remember what they've told people. Okay. There's nobody in this auditorium like that, huh? Okay. So character is who I am. And the wonderful thing about it is I mightn't like myself as I am right now, but I can change. I can change. See? Now, Romans chapter 8 and verse 19 says that the earnest expectation for the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. And we've seen that that term, the sons of God, is the huios of God in the Greek. It talks about the adult sons. The whole of creation is groaning because it's still operating under a curse. The adult sons of God, the adult daughters of God, are the people to whom God entrusts the power and the authority of the kingdom. Coming into spiritual adulthood is not determined by the number of years I've been born again. I've seen some two-year-old Christians that display far more mature attitudes than 20-year-old Christians. And I've seen some 20-year-old Christians that behave like two-month-old Christians. So it's not the number of years. It's what I've done with the experience that I have with Jesus. How close am I to Him? You know, He is the light of the world. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you see yourself. And the more you realize you need change. Now, if you're not seeing, your, if you're not seeing anything wrong with yourself, I would suggest that you have a check how far you are from Jesus. Okay. See? Now, this curse that is, uh, that is pervading the world, 
the world, all of creation, is waiting for the adult sons and the adult daughters of God to set them free. It's, uh, Isaiah 10, 27 tells us it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. Anointing is the approval of God. That's what it is. God anoints what he approves of. And God's desire for us that he would approve of is our coming to maturity. Maturity is something that is grown into. It's process. The closer that I am to him and the more connected that I am to him, the more I am going to grow. And as I grow, I will mature. Now, I don't have to try and produce manifestations of maturity. A lot of Christians are doing a lot of things that look like Christian and it makes people think, boy, what a good Christian. And it's all dead works. God wasn't in it. They're into a works program. You see, when we start talking about the vine and we were dealing with John chapter 15 and we were talking about the branches, the vine was not going to die because the branch is cut off. The branch is going to die because it's not plugged in. The branch gets its life from the vine. The vine carries all the life and all the strength. But that branch doesn't start off a mature, strong branch. It starts off a little shoot and it grows. And whilst it stays connected to the vine, it grows and becomes stronger and stronger. And as it grows, more and more life of the vine passes into the branch and ultimately that branch starts producing manifestations of what it's connected to. The fruit on the vine is always found on the branch. But only on a branch that is able to bear fruit. It has to be connected and it has to become mature. And fruit is born on the branch. And we need to realize that if we don't stay connected, we don't produce fruit. John chapter 15 verse 8, Jesus says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Not some fruit. Not a bit of fruit. Not occasionally produce fruit. But much fruit speaks of that which is in evidence all the time. So God wants us to be people who are evidencing our connection to Him all the time. And the fruit that we bear is one kind of fruit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. Now the fruit of the recreated human spirit, when you get in contact with God and you get born again, the life of God comes and lives on the inside of you. And because God is love, that fact that God is on the inside of you, that love that is spoken of is agape love. It's the God kind of love. You can't know that love outside of God. Nobody can experience that love outside of God. And agape love is the fruit of the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. It's not knocking on doors and getting people born again. Knocking on doors and getting people born again will come naturally, just like the hen can just drop the egg. 
Just like the vine branch automatically produces grapes. It doesn't have to strive. It doesn't have to plan to do it. It doesn't have to do all the things that many people in churches are doing in order to produce fruit. When the love of God is flowing through us, there is no problem producing fruit. Nothing. And you won't even know you're producing it. There's no striving after it. Yes, we need a hunger and thirst, not after the love of God in our lives, because Romans 5, 5 says the love of God has already been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So you got that at conversion. The love of God, the fruit of the Spirit is already on the inside of you in seed form. We are now responsible. Having received that seed, we are responsible for the growth and the development of that love. And out of that love comes everything else, every kind of ministry. When you are operating in the agape kind of love, you are not going to be concerned about the time schedule or how much you've got to adjust your schedule or whether people are going to put you out or are you going to be inconvenienced. That's not it. You will say, Lord, is this what you want me to do? When you hear from him, you'll go and do it because you'll have peace and there won't be any striving on the inside of you. The minute that your flesh gets up like this, suddenly you're not dead. Now, the love of God can only flow where people are dead. Hello. So what God does is He goes along and He puts the anointing on us. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke. So they're waiting for people with anointing to come. Anointing is not gained in a meeting like this where people lay hands on you. Anointing does not produce character. Connecting to the vine produces character. When we talk about character, it's the character and the nature of God. That which characterizes the life of God. And that is what His kids, His children, should be displaying to the world. He's my Father. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. So whatever they would expect to see in God, they should be seeing in us. Okay? Now... In order to break the power of the, of the enemy over people's lives, we need the anointing. The anointing is the approval of God. God says, I've watched you grow. And you're starting to be, that's great. I, my life is flying through you. You know what? I'm going to enable you to bear much fruit. And you didn't even get any goosebumps. Come on. Didn't even get any goosebumps. See, all meaningful ministry comes out of character. Now, I want you to go to, uh, to uh, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And I'm going to speak real quickly now. Verse 24. John chapter 12 and verse 24. Jesus says, Verily, verily. I say unto you, except a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And the much fruit sounds a whole lot like what Jesus was telling us his father's expectations of us were when he was talking in John 15 verse 8. Herein is my father glorified that you bring forth much fruit. Stay with me, team. Much fruit, much fruit, much fruit. God is looking for much fruit out of our lives. 
Now, in order for that to become a reality, I've got to stay connected to the vine. And my connecting to the vine is very important because if I'm wanting to bear fruit, I'm going to have to die to myself so that more fruit can be born. Are we okay? Now, the, the fruit of the recreated human spirit is love. Agapeo, agape love, is not passive. It is active. It looks for needs that it can meet. It puts itself out in order to minister to the needs of other people. It loves unconditionally, and unconditionally means precisely that. But listen, I can't minister to everybody and God doesn't expect that. I have to learn to hear the voice of the Spirit and He directs me in my doing. Otherwise, even in doing a good thing, I can end up doing a dead work. I have a look at the book of Acts and I find that Paul and them, the, the, the instruction is to go out and preach the gospel in all the world. So they start planning and leaning to their own understanding. And the Holy Spirit, one after the other, says, No, I forbid you to go there. No, I don't want you to go there. I want you to drop out of that. But Lord, surely this is gospel outreach. I mean, we've just had such, such success. Surely you want me to go there. You see, the Holy Spirit, who is God, knows everything. And the people in Asia Minor weren't ready to receive the word. There was more groundwork that had to be laid. He knows these things. So you and I need to understand, in order to minister effectively, we've got to hear the voice of the Spirit. But I've also got to die. And I've got to die to myself. Otherwise, this agape love will not move towards people because my loving them will be conditional upon how convenient it is for me at that moment in time. And if it doesn't, if it's not convenient, it doesn't suit me, I'm not going to minister. I'm not going to make myself available. Or I'll do it with the wrong attitude. And God says, no, that's not what I want. Jesus never did anything with the wrong attitude. Amen? Now go with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Lord, help me now, Jesus. Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour was come, Jesus sat down with the twelve apostles, uh, and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread. Now watch this. He took. Say he took. And he gave thanks. And he broke it. And he gave to them. See, he took bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it. And then he gave it. He took it and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it. Well, when was the next time that Jesus did this? Was there another time? Go across to chapter 24 of the same book. Now for the sake of time... You can read this for yourself if you're interested. But it's the story of the two men on the road to Emmaus. 
And starting at verse 15, you can read the account the way that Jesus moved in behind them and moved up and accompanied them on their journey. And he walks with them for seven miles. And uh, he starts talking to them and they ask him, is he a stranger in the place? Doesn't he know what's happening? Because he's asking them, why are you looking so disconsolate? And then they start talking about Jesus and all the things that had happened and all his ministry. And uh, Jesus, the word of God tells us that they didn't recognize him. Now get down there to verse 25. He says to them, oh fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now this is what he did. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he's walking down the Emmaus road and starting at Moses and all the prophets, he starts breaking down for them the scriptures that pertain to him His death, burial, resurrection, his ministry life, the purpose and intent of his being here. Now, get across there to uh, verse, let me have a look, 32. No, verse, verse, all right, 28. They drew nigh unto the village where, where they went in. He made it as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening and the day is far spent. And they went in, and he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. Well, was there another time that Jesus did this? I want you to see it's the same order. He took bread. He blessed it. He broke it and he gave it. Was there another time that he did this? Have a look at Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Starting to read at verse 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place and, it's, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. You give them to eat. And they said unto him, We've only got five loaves and two fishes here. Like Jesus didn't know it. And he said, bring them here. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed. And then he broke it. And then he gave it. He took. He blessed. He broke. And he gave. Every time that Jesus communed, he did it in precisely the same order. He never did it any other way. Every time today that Jesus communes, I'm not talking about receiving the elements. I'm talking about plugged into the vine. I'm talking about connecting. I'm talking about wanting his life flowing through me. He's going to take you. He's going to bless you. He's going to break you. 
and is going to give you to the world. Now, word faith people don't want Jesus to break them. You'll never be given to the world unless that happens. He's not trying to break your will. What he's trying to do is break us from the things that we've relied on instead of relying on him. He wants to break us of the things that are hindrances to our moving into the superabundant life. He wants us broken of our dependency upon things other than Him. He has to be the source of everything. We are only reliant upon Him. Not our education, not our understanding, not our experience, not our qualifications, not our drugs. He wants us broken of those things. And this is the divine order for communion. We're not taking communion when I'm communing with God. And it can't happen to that degree until we're dead. I've got to be dead to my ambition, to my will, to my wanting, to my plans, to my visions. Because you see, the majority of us have formulated these visions and these plans. And then we bring them to God and say, God bless them. And God won't bless what He never ordered. If God ordered it, He'll bless it. So the easiest way to go, tell you it'll save you years, is get on your knees and spend time there until you've got the mind of God and what He wants to do. And then you say, now God bless it. And He'll bless it. Because God blesses only what He orders. That person that you're looking for in a relationship for the rest of your life, that person that you're believing God for, you get on your knees. Well, brother, you've got to have some idea what you want. Man, I want to tell you what I've got doesn't exist exist in this earth. The majority of guys that get down on their knees and start believing God for a wife, she doesn't exist. Come on now. Come on. And most of you girls, you got, a, you got ideas of what you want for a husband. In your mind's eye, that guy doesn't exist. You're going to have to deal with damage and junk and all the rest of it. And if it doesn't come out before you're married and you don't know what you're dealing with, it will come out afterwards. Come on now. There are no perfect people in this earth but Jesus. Come on. Yeah. Now, what the disciples on the Emmaus Road had had dawn on them was that they had come into order and they had gained a revelation of Jesus. They realized that you cannot get by emotion what you get through order. They understood by order what you cannot get through theology. And by coming into order, they received by inheritance the truth of who Jesus was. The eyes of their understanding was opened and they saw him. Have a look at verse 32. If you're sorry, back at Luke 24. Have a look there at verse 32. Verse 32. They said this. <clears throat> When I can find it. There you go. 
And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while we, while he talked with us by the way and while he opened unto us our scriptures? Perhaps this was more than merely a table side manner that Jesus was displaying. It may be that they were discovering the process of truly knowing him and seeing him. Oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. That's the cry of every genuine Christian's heart. And I want you to know that that knowing him comes through your death. I'm not talking about stop breathing. I'm talking about death to yourself. See? And what did he do? Jesus went along. And he started doing certain things. If I have a look down there at verse 27 of chapter 24, Jesus beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded him, beginning with Moses, beginning with Moses. So I think we need to start where Jesus started and have a look and see whether there is a pattern here that gets established for us. If it's a pattern, we can follow it. And we find that Jesus started in his discourse on the Emmaus Road with in the beginning and beginning with Moses. Well, Moses, rather interesting that he uses Moses to start with because the name Moses means literally drawn out of the water or taken out of the water. Here, God took, took, took. See? So God reached into the waters and, and took him. Now, if this order holds true, what would be the next step? Well, let's have a look. Does he get blessed? We find him in Pharaoh's daughter's house. And then we find him in Pharaoh's court. He studied. And now we find him riding chariots. He's being blessed. He was in the bulrushes. Here he is in the palace. Sounds like that's blessing to me. He grows up educated. But what is the next step? He's broken. And he's broken of his dependence upon himself. He's one of the chief of Pharaoh's men. He understands the stars. He understands the land. The years and the shadows and the times. He's there while they're building pyramids. He understands how that was done. And in ethnic anger one day, he raises his hand and he kills an Egyptian. And for the next 40 years, he runs like a rabbit in the wilderness, pulling rocks off wells so women can come and water the sheep. 40 years, a whole generation. And he turns the corner one day. Here he is, he's been taken, and he's been blessed. And now he's broken of his reliance upon himself and his ability to do anything and he turns the corner in the valley one day and he walks into a spectacular sight. A bush that is burning and not being consumed. And a voice comes out of the bush and says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you. He was taken and blessed and broken and now I'm going to give you to these people to deliver them. I'm sending you. I'm sending you. This is the order that God always uses. Think about Joseph. 
He's taken from among His brethren. Taken. He's chosen above them. He's blessed. He starts seeing visions and dreams. He sees the sun, moon, and the stars bowing down to him. He sees sheaves of corn bowing down to him. He gets a coat of favor. But then he's broken. He's taken and put in the pit. Goat's blood covers his coat, the coat of his identity. His brothers hide their own deceit in the blood of an animal. Joseph is sold into Egypt. He's lied on, lied on by, by Potiphar's wife. And he's in a dungeon. And he's done nothing wrong. And a man that he ministers to there, that he speaks words of encouragement and life, ultimately is released from the prison and he forgets Joseph. But Joseph stays true to do what he knows he should be doing. And one day he walks out of that prison. And he says, King, this is the interpretation to your dream. And the moment that he says that, he is being given to the world. And he becomes a great ruler. Only Pharaoh is above him. But out of his brokenness, God now can give him to the world as a savior. Everybody in this house is somewhere in that process of the order of breaking bread. Either God is taking you, or he's blessing you, or he's wanting to break you. Or you're in the process of being broken of the things that you're relying on that God wants out of your life. Or He's in the process of already giving you. See, a lot of you are cursing your wilderness. And I want you to know, your wilderness is not terminal unless you see it as terminal. The wilderness that you're going through is a blessed time because it's a time of process. Because God in the next step is going to be giving you into situations and into people's lives and into circumstances that are going to turn those circumstances around. And you are going to bring life through your death. Unless a corner wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. See? And you think that God has left you. And you think that God has deserted you. And you think that it's all over. But it ain't over till God says it's over. You need to realize that. It ain't over. Say it ain't over. Till God says it's over. Well, is there somebody else that we can point to? Yes, David. David said, I don't know why he chose me from following the ewes heavy with lamb. But God took him. And here comes David. This little boy, playing on a harp, just loving God, comes in. His father is sent for him, and he walks into the family smelling like the sheep. Because no little boy looking after sheep doesn't play with him. He's dragging his harp behind him. And he's walking in and just singing about the joy of the Lord. And here stands a strange man. And the man says, this is the one. No, I didn't do it, Dad. No, no, no. (laughs) 
I said, no, this is the one. This is the one. Jesse says, are you sure? I mean, have a, you, this? Yep. Come here, son. God's going to make you king of Israel. Glug, 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 glug. Just anoints him with oil. God took him. And he goes out and he slays a lion, a bear, and a giant. And now he is in charge of Saul's army. Now he is married to the king's daughter. Now he's sitting at the king's table. Now his personal best friend is the crown prince of the land. God blessed him. He took him and he blessed him. But it was 15 years from the oil to the golden throne. And like a fox on the run, he carries 15 years running through the land, begging for a little bit of water. No place really to lie down and rest his head because he has to sleep with one eye open in case the enemy is close at hand. And he has for his friends thugs and thieves. But when God brings him to Hebron, he's been delivered from himself. God brings him to Hebron. God crowns him thrice and gave to him a Messiah for a son. Even blind beggars will reach out and say, Jesus, thou son of Have mercy on me. And this is what Jesus shared with them on the road to Emmaus. Have a look at the life of Jesus quickly. He said, I am the bread sent down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. God took him. And then God blessed him. At eight days of age, Simeon and Anna look at him and they say, I can die now because you're the promised one. You're the salvation of Israel. You are Messiah. At 12 years of age, he astounds the spiritual leaders of the day. He stands in the temple and he shares with them things that cause them to go away and have to reconsider their position. And at 30 years of age, he starts a ministry that upsets this entire nation. And the then known world. And they took him. And they beat him. And they nailed him to a Roman gibbet. And God broke him. See the breaking was not in his body. The breaking was not of his will. The breaking was the separating him of the will that he had against the will of God. Now he never had one because that's why I said last week Jesus died in Gethsemane. Death is a decision. Not my will but yours be done. That's the Father's will. I submit to it Father. I've just died. And the cross was the final expression of their death that took place in Gethsemane. Isaiah 53 tells us that it pleased the Lord 
to bruise him. It pleased him. Why? Because God was looking beyond the suffering that he would have to go through. He was looking at the harvest that the death would bring. And the reason that God broke him was to give him to the world. This is God's order of breaking bread in order to meet the needs of millions. Unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. Reminded of the little boy that came home from school on the last day of the first grade. And he said, Mom, I finished school. And she said, No, son. Next year, you're going back at a slightly higher level and you're going to start all over again. God takes us and He blesses us and He breaks us in order to give us to our families and our neighborhoods and our friends and the places that we work in and the places that we study in as the bread of life. And your life becomes a walk in the order of breaking bread. I made a statement a couple of weeks back and I said this, The harvest, despite what we've been taught, the harvest is not in the world. The harvest is in the church. The crop is in the world. Combine harvester goes down through the fields. It pulls up the crop. Not everything in the crop is part of the harvest. It separates. And that, sh- that, that, that winnowing floor, that floor which causes the process of separation to take place, is the church. The crop comes in, but not all the crop is the harvest. And what they did in Old Testament times was they would take the, 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 the harvest or the crop and they would fling it up. There would be a wind blowing and the wind would carry away the chaff, that which looked like the genuine article and wasn't. And they would take it and they would toss it in the air again and the wind would take it. The the residue, the true harvest is left once everything else has been taken away. And that is what the treasure is. That is what you can take and use. That is what carries the potential for life. That is what is taken and is sown again. And a harvest is produced. Because it's the genuine article. But the process, the winnowing floor, is the church. And the crop comes in. And God takes the harvest and throws it up. And the wind of the Holy Spirit blows. And there are those who say, this is not for me. I'm out of here. I'm gone. They're flakes. They're wrong. It conflicts with my doctrine. And God is speaking truth. And those who say, I'm so hungry for truth. I get a witness. I do not understand it in my head. But I know it's truth. And God then takes it and He 
sifts it. He takes it. And he blesses it. And then he crushes it. And turns it into something, listen, he can use. If you and I are going to be bridges across, meeting, extending from the needs of people into the provision of God, you're going to have to die. And people are going to walk all over you. But it doesn't make any difference because dead people don't feel anything. And He takes us and blesses us and breaks us and crushes us into that which He can take and use. And when we are finished, He produces that which is the bread of life to a needy world. And He takes us again and He blesses us and then He breaks us and then he gives us. <laughs> it's like the uh, it's like the old type of typewriter. You start banging it out. Remember the carriages that moved? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we've got it. And the carriage moves. He takes us and he blesses us and he breaks us and then he gives us. And we think that it's all finished now. And. Are you willing to die? Because life is only experienced when we're dead. Dead to ourselves, our own ideas of what should or shouldn't be done, how it should or shouldn't be done. Our own religious traditional persuasions, our convictions that we hold with, 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 with hands that just cannot be pried loose of them. Because this is what I was taught. You're not dead. God let the Spirit of God come in and minister to us. He wants to break us of all the things that are impediments. Well, brother, I don't think there's much wrong with me. God help you. No, I mean that. Because he's the only one. You obviously won't take input from people. God help you. Well, I've dealt with all my junk. I don't think so. Because then you'd be walking on water. And I didn't see anybody walk across that pond this morning. <laughs> there, you, cannot, you cannot begin to start living this life until you know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. He's got to take you. He'll take you out of where you are. He'll take you out of what you've been. He'll take you out of what 
you've become. And he'll bless you. But I want you to know, he's going to want to break you. Not your spirit. Break you free of the things that will prevent you from dying. Because his purpose is to give you to a hungry, needy, desperate world that never will find answers without him.